We've had so much feedback and response from you, our listeners, and so today we're doing a very special episode to respond to some of those questions. If you have any questions for upcoming episodes, please email us at community at astonrx.com. All content on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. None of the content provided is intended to diagnose, treat or relieve any medical health conditions and is not intended as a substitute for advice provided by your physician. You should always consult a healthcare professional before adopting any diet and lifestyle changes. Hi, I'm Donna Aston, and welcome to my Body Masterclass. As a nutritionist for the last 30-odd years, I've had the opportunity to work with some extraordinary health professionals, clients, and colleagues. During this podcast series, I'm going to share with you their experience, as well as mine, help you to sort fact from fiction, and hopefully inspire you to live your best life. My Body Masterclass is like the instruction manual that you didn't receive for your body until now. So today the tables have turned. We actually have some great questions from you, the listeners, and we have our producer here today, Kat, who's actually going to be asking me questions. So welcome, Kat. Thank you for having me. God, the tables have turned. Haven't they? Love this. (laughs) So what have we got today? (laughs) All right. So we've had so many questions from our community. The first one I think can be controversial. We see it everywhere on social media um, with that influx and everyone has an opinion. So I guess the first one, can you be overweight or obese and healthy? You can. It's very rare. Um, you can also be thin and unhealthy. Mm. So it's not necessarily the determinant for, for that. It's really important to know that being overweight or carrying excess weight is actually a symptom. It's a symptom of something that's going on on the inside, um, which is our metabolic health. And so rather than focusing on the weight, focusing on the weight for me is like focusing on smoke pouring out of the bonnet of your car. You're trying to blow it away. You might put a fan on the bonnet of the car to blow it away and your focus is the smoke. That's like our weight. It's time to pop the hood, have a look at the engine and find out where the smoke's coming from. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what we do when we do our pathology testing with Aston RX. That's what we do. We're looking at what is the underlying cause of this. And until you identify that, you're really not going to know whether it's healthy or unhealthy, and you're not going to know the right path to fix it. So the short answer to it is, look, it also, I I won't give you a short answer, actually. You know, know I can never give you a short answer, (laughs) right? The other thing I suppose I should mention is that you can, there's actually a medical term called TOFI, T-O-F-I, which is thin outside, fat inside. So you can actually have somebody who appears thin and reads thin when you look at them, but in fact, they actually have a lot of visceral fat, which sits in and around their organs and they have very little muscle tissue. Now that's probably more unhealthy than somebody who's overweight or obese. If you're carrying excess body fat, 
body fat is really part of your endocrine system, which is your hormone system. So it's not just stored energy. It actually really has an impact on our health. Visceral fat increases inflammation and there's a lot of diseases that are related to being overweight. Uh, I think it's around 70% of heart disease is related to being overweight. So you can't just assume it's healthy or unhealthy just because of the body fat. It's really important to care for your health by having pathology testing. So essential, just removing that appearance side of it. When you look underneath, it's just such a bigger picture, which you've explained so well. So thank you. I hope that helps so many people. Uh, Number two, I really don't consume much sugar. So why am I insulin resistant? Do you also mind explaining a little bit about what insulin resistance is? Sure. So this actually came to me in a, there was a, one of the um, listeners was talking about an Instagram post that she'd seen. I think I've seen this one. Yes. (laughs) And it was, look, it was interesting. Mm. It it went along the lines of, um, you know, sugar in your brain, Alzheimer's, sugar in your blood, diabetes, sugar in your eyes, glaucoma. So essentially sugar being behind many health issues. And she was sending it to me basically saying, but I don't really have a lot of sugar in my tea or my coffee. However, I'm insulin resistant. So that's kind of the context of that question when it came through. It's important to know that that it's this is not just about having sugar in your tea and coffee. This is or, or eating desserts every night. It's about how well you regulate your blood glucose. So we all have sugar floating around in our blood. So when you eat or drink anything, it's normal to see a rise in your blood glucose or your blood sugar. In response to that, your body produces insulin. And insulin is a hormone that grabs hold of that sugar and needs to put it somewhere. So it's a storage hormone. This is being pushed into your liver all day long. Your liver has a capacity and once it reaches capacity, it'll turn that glucose into fat to go out for storage. This is a normal process. Now, we've evolved as humans through feast and famine. There's no more famine. There is only feast. (laughs) And so we're always having another milky coffee and a little snack and a handful of this and a couple of those. So accessible. So accessible. Whether it's drinking or eating, we're constantly consuming. So we're constantly keeping our glucose and insulin too high. Our body can get overwhelmed with this and we never have the opportunity to dip into that reserve tank of body fat and start using it for energy as we've been designed to do. It's like driving around trying to run the petrol out of your car, yet you keep stopping at the petrol station and topping it up just with a little bit. So it's going to be almost impossible. And until you run down on that glucose and insulin, you're not going to get into the reserve tank that is our body fat. So the whole process is to make sure that you're eating foods that keep your glucose and insulin spikes low, that you have time between meals to allow that insulin to drop below the baseline, which triggers your body to start saying, hey, I need some excess fuel. I'm going to go to my fat stores and start dipping into that reserve tank on a regular basis. And hey, presto, we start losing body fat. Amazing. Do other factors, I've gone off script, but do other factors, I guess, uh, assist in that insulin spike? Things like stress. I know you've said about filling up the tank with food, but uh, is there a more multifaceted things as well? So chronic stress, and that includes things like poor sleep or just, you know, a really high stress job. Mm. Um, You know, all of these things are increasing our glucose and insulin. They're putting us into that 
fight or flight mode. And when you're in that space, your body, it's designed for you to escape danger. Mm. So from our primitive times, it's how our body's designed. So when you get that stress reaction and all the cortisol and stress hormones floating around your bloodstream, what it does is it says you need to get out of danger fast. So all of your digestion slows to nothing if you're digesting food. All of your blood flow is diverted to your limbs for you to run as hard as you can and your liver will start pushing glucose out into your bloodstream as an emergency fuel source for you to run but you're sitting at your computer, mm. you're sitting in the yeah. car, you've got a bit of road rage going on, there's something else <laughs> happening but you're still experiencing that physical issue which is causing you over time to be insulin resistant. Mm. Very interesting. Uh, another post on Instagram that you have put up recently about the unhealthiest health foods. And I was confused about some of these. Can you provide further explanation? I think this will debunk a lot of things. It was a very controversial post. It was like I had taken away somebody's firstborn mm. when I posted that. It was when, I, when they were defending <laughs> those foods to the end. And yeah. this is how powerful marketing is. Um, some of those foods were, for example, sugar-free. Mm. So sugar-free doesn't only mean that there's no sugar in it. Sugar-free means it's full of artificial sweetener. So when we consume artificial sweetener, besides many of them having some really major health impacts, such as um, you know uh, issues with our microbiome and really degrading our microbiome and our gut health, some of them have um, triggers on anxiety, and we've seen increases in anxiety and depression as a result of consuming them regularly. Um, they can have gastrointestinal um, you know results as well. So it's really important to know that they're not just nothing, just because there's no calories, they're not nothing. And when our tongue tastes sweet, our brain releases insulin. It's called a cephalic insulin response. So artificial sweeteners, no calories, no glucose response, but an insulin response. Mm -hmm. And insulin's a bad guy. He is the bad guy. Same with smell. Any other senses that affect? Oh yeah. I mean, it's like Pavlov's dog. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's you, what I thought. yeah. You see a man in a white lab coat and you start drooling. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same process, really. Yeah. But it's important to know what you're eating. If something is free of something, whether it be sugar or fat or cholesterol or what's in it, mm -hmm. I don't care what's not in it. What's in it? So the best thing you can do is read the label. The biggest one with this too at the moment is kombucha. So mm, everyone yes. thinks this is a healthy drink, right? That's it helps either, your gut health, yeah. fermented, all that thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, firstly, the, the amount of live bacteria in it is, mm, you know, the jury's out on whether there's anything left in it after mm. the processing. And if so, what strains are there? We know now that there are certain strains of bacteria strains of bacteria that are beneficial and others that are not. Um, it often has sugar or artificial sweetener, otherwise it tastes like rubbish mm. and nobody's going to buy it and drink it. So it's essentially a soft drink. Um, people didn't like it when I took away the kombucha. No. The other thing, um, you know, juice. So, you know, we all think that because it comes from a fruit or vegetable that it's healthy and this is just not true. So if I was to make Let's say a glass of orange juice. I'd have to squeeze 10 oranges to go into that glass of juice. And you could drink that down and then eat your breakfast, no problem. But could you eat 10 oranges? Oh, of God, course no. not. You'd mm -hmm. be stuffed full from all the fibre after the second one. So what that does is it removes the fibre and it allows you just to have the pure sugar from that fruit. 
even if it's a green juice. You've pulverized the fiber of that vegetable. And so now it doesn't act like fiber anymore. We always drink faster than we can chew. And so you're drinking it quickly. There's It's void of fiber. And so now you've got a glucose and insulin response through the roof. That petrifies me, the amount of juice cleansers that are available and people are drinking juice. And I love the word days. cleanse after it yeah. as well, which just really <laughs> mm. is so wrong. Oh, yeah. But the bottom line is that, you know, there are a lot of foods that are marketed as healthy. Yeah. And I don't mind, look, everybody's choice for food is their own choice. So if you choose to have juice, then that's fine. But for marketers to say that that's healthy, that's where I have a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's juice. And so if you're, I see school kids lined up at juice places buying juice and a lot of them are overweight and a lot of them are going to have ongoing health problems because they think they're doing the right thing, but they're not. So it's that marketing that is the biggest educator, if you like, of the public and it's actually doing a lot of damage. It's almost more the more you see it on a pass or on a packaging about more vitamin D or the healthiest of something, the more you've maybe got to read it and question it and look at that list of ingredients and be more educated in exactly what it is yeah. that you're and, eating. And if it is in a packet, for a Question start, it again. <laughs> for a start, yeah. it's you know if you if you're eating fresh food, it's generally not in a packet and doesn't have a label and doesn't need one. Yes. And if you were trying to, people think that having vegetable juice is a good thing because you know they're saying, oh, but I can get you know ten pieces of celery into that that I wouldn't ordinarily be able to eat. Uh, that's my point exactly. Mm. So if you were chewing on that celery and you were, you know, had the fibre is slowing and blunting that glucose response, the fibre is feeding the microbiome and all the good friendly bacteria in your gut and it's helping to lower your LDL cholesterol and do all the things that fibre does, that's great. But it, when it's pulverised and you're drinking it, it's not the same thing. Mm. So scary. So, so scary. Mad. So scary. Uh, it's expensive to be healthy though. So how can I get healthy with a tighter budget? Okay, I love this question mm. because most people who do our 28-day program may think that it's expensive to be healthy. But if you think they're not drinking alcohol for a month when they do it. So the amount of money that some people spend on alcohol and going out and having lavish dinners. Buying and juices. Buying juices <laughs> <laughs> as well as takeaway food, which is expensive. Yeah. Um, all of those things are actually expensive. And guess what? Not eating between meals and not snacking is for free and exercising is for free. Mm-hmm. So we can tell ourselves that perhaps as part of cr- procrastinating about not starting and about not changing and we can use it as an excuse but I would challenge that with just about anyone that they would save money. We should compare some receipts for someone who's about to start a challenge a week before and then Oh, that's a good idea. I love that one. (laughs) Love that one. Exactly. Uh, Number five, why are you such an advocate of strength training is walking and yoga and Pilates enough? Walking and yoga and Pilates are great, but they're not strength training. Mm. So they're all good things. And, you know, I think yoga is good for those who enjoy it. I think Pilates can underpin our strength, um, which can help us to connect to different sort of stabilizing muscles and may help us to be able to lift weight. 
but it's not lifting weight. So the problem is that after the age of 35, we lose about 1% of our lean muscle tissue every year, every year after the age of 35. So by the time you're 50, you've lost 15% of your muscle tissue if you don't use it. Okay. So this is called sarcopenia. It's muscle loss. It's related to aging. It's not it's preventable, okay? So it's not your destiny. It will happen if you're not paying attention, but it's not your destiny. So what happens when we lose muscle? Well, muscle is our engine. So if you have a smaller engine, it means that you need less fuel. So what's going to happen with the excess fuel that you're eating? It's going to be stored as body fat. So that's the first issue. So you might weigh the same as you did 10 years ago, but you're actually fatter because the ratio is starting to shift. And people think that's just aging. That's not. That's not aging at all. The other thing that happens is that muscles pull away from our joints and provide tension to protect our joints. If your muscles are lax, your joints slam together with every step that you make. So now we're starting to get inflammation and joint issues and pain. It's not aging. Mm. You've lost your muscle tissue. There's no more support. Muscle is the biggest tool that we have to draw glucose out of our blood. So when you consume a meal, 80% of the glucose in that meal should be taken up by your muscles if they're working properly. Okay, so you can see our blood sugar may start to rise and we'll be less insulin sensitive if we've got very little muscle or poorly conditioned muscle. The other thing is our bones. So our bones rely on us being strong. If there's nothing pulling against those bones, a strong muscle or putting it under load with weights, your bone density starts to deteriorate as well, bringing us to osteopenia and then osteoporosis. Once they're gone, they're gone. And this skeleton we have has to last us to the day we die. So these are all super important things. And unless you're doing strength training three times a week, your muscles and your bones are deteriorating right now and your body is becoming less and less insulin sensitive, your glucose is rising, you're storing more fat, really it's time to get to the gym. It's a ticking time bomb. It's a ticking time bomb. Gosh. Get mm. to the gym, everyone. Absolutely. Also, you know, other things that can impact our, our bone density and muscle tissue. So if you're vitamin D deficient, firstly, you're not absorbing calcium properly. And secondly, um, you can lose muscle tissue. Your muscle can deteriorate and you can become quite frail if you're low in vitamin D. And it's really common mm. to be low in vitamin D. Which is funny you say that because I think most people know vitamin D as they haven't had enough sunshine. And I don't think that aspect of vitamin D is as talked about. So that's very important as well to get it tested, I guess, to see where you're sitting. When you have your next blood test, make sure you ask your doctor to look at your vitamin D level. And if it's below 100, you need to start taking a supplement. ASAP. ASAP. Mm -hmm. Um, Alcohol can deteriorate our bone density. Um, Certain medications can also do that. So, for example, thyroid medication can start to deteriorate bone density. Um, Too much coffee, excess caffeine can can do the same. You know, other, other sort of pharmaceuticals that we need to take for different things. So it's really important to be aware of the things that are going to impact it and to work as hard as you can against losing valuable bone and muscle. Amazing. Well, I think that's all we have time for today, but I hope that answers 
all those questions for you. So thank you so much, Donna. That's my pleasure. (laughs) That's my pleasure. So as you may see, I love to answer a question. So please keep your questions coming in, community at astonrx.com.au.